1: We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current events. Also, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of several novels, will be joining us as well. It is October 31st. It's Halloween, and on this day in 1517, legend has it that the priest and scholar Martin Luther approached the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, nailed a piece of paper, in it containing 95 revolutionary opinions that would begin the Protestant Reformation. In his theses, uh, Luther condemned the excesses and corruption of the Roman Catholic Church, especially the papal practice of asking for payments called indulgences for the forgiveness of sins. At the time, a Dominican priest named Johann Tetzel, commissioned by Archbishop of Mainz and uh, Pope Leo X., was in the midst of a major fundraising campaign in Germany to finance the renovation of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Though uh, Prince Frederick III, the wise, had uh, banned the sale of indulgences in Wittenberg, many church members traveled to purchase them, and when they returned, they showed the pardons that they had bought to Luther, claiming they no longer had to repent for their sins. (laughs) Luther, frustrated with the practice, led him to uh, write the 95 theses, which were quickly snapped up, translated from Latin into German and re- distributed uh, distributed widely. A copy made it to all the way to Rome, and if efforts began to convince Luther to change his mind and his tune. He refused to keep silent, however, and in 1521, Pope Leo X formally excommunicated Luther from the Catholic Church. That same year, Luther began, again refused to recant his writings before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V of Germany who issued the famous Edict of Worms, uh, declaring Luther had an outlaw and a heretic, uh, giving permission for anyone to kill him without consequence. Protected by Prince Frederick, Luther began working on a German translation of the Bible, a task that took him 10 years to complete. The term Protestant first appeared in 1529 when Charles V revoked a provision that allowed the ruler of each German state to choose whether they would enforce the Edict of Worms. A number of princes and other supporters of Luther issued protest, declaring that their allegiance to God trumped their allegiance to the emperor. They became known as the Opponents as Protestants. Gradually their name came to apply to all who believed in the church should be reformed, even those outside Germany. By the time Luther died of natural causes in 1546, his revolutionary beliefs had formed the basis for the Protestant Reformation, which would, uh, over the next three centuries, revolutionize Western civilization. On this day, many years ago. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' new election crimes unit has recommended state police open a uh, full investigation into the Democrat whistleblower's detailed complaint of a long-running, widespread ballot harvesting operation in African-American communities in politically important central Florida. Now, this is such an expose. It's so interesting just to listen to. I thought the elections were pretty clean in Florida, but get this. Former Orange County Commissioner uh, candidate Cynthia Harris filed a sworn affidavit in late August, with the Secretary of State's office alleging that uh, illegal operations to collect third-party ballots had been going on for years in Orlando area, where voting activists were paid $10 for each ballot they took and collected. She uh, described an intricate system funded by liberal-leaning organizations that dispatched ballot brokers in black communities to pressure voters to uh, turn over their ballots. The $10 fee per ballot is divvied up among the parties who help complete the harvesting. The collection and delivery of ballots by third parties is illegal in Florida. Uh, The newly created Office of Election Crimes and Security did a preliminary inquiry into Harris's allegations and concluded there was sufficient evidence to warrant a full criminal investigation by the state police, the Florida State Department told uh, Just the News. The development in Florida adds an explosive new allegation concerns uh, nationwide, that ballot trafficking is widespread in some battleground states, a claim made famous by the research of the conservative watchdog group True the Vote and a documentary released earlier this year by filmmaker de D'Souza called 2,000 Mules, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. 2,000 Mules, uh, again, documentary by Denise D'Souza. Arizona prosecutors have achieved several convictions in the state for ballot harvesting, most recently securing the guilty plea of a former Democrat mayor in Yuma County. True to the vote filed a complaint in Georgia alleging thousands of ballots were harvested in 2020 election, but those allegations have not yet been corrobor- corroborated as authorities negotiated with the nonprofit group for its evidence. A Wisconsin investigation unmasked a sophisticated ballot harvesting effort targeting vulnerable nursing home patients in communities like Racine, Wisconsin. Harris described how much in, uh, in Wisconsin, vulnerable patients in rehabilitation centers and nursing homes in Florida were targeted for ballot harvesting and trafficking. Harris alleged that the Orange County Supervisor of Elections, who's held the office for 26 years, has turned a blind eye to the ballot harvesting in her community. The Office of Orange County Supervisor of Elections, Bill Cowles, said in response to a request for comment regarding Harris's claim that he is not aware of any issues regarding ballot harvesting. I know nothing, he said, so he is unable to comment on this uh, at this time. Florida's had other issues with regard to ballot harvesting over the years. In 2005, Uh, Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer was indicted on a felony charge of paying a campaign worker to collect absentee ballots before his 2004 election, along with three others on similar charges. The charges were dropped by the prosecutor, who said that none of the persons indicted had intended to break the law. So that's a new standard for breaking the law. Uh, intention. In 2013, a ballot harvester in Hialeah received one-year probation as part of a plea deal after police said she collected at least 31 absentee ballots for the 2012 August primary election. While a felony charge was dropped, the woman pleaded guilty to two misdemeanor charges and counts of illegally possessing more than two ballots from other voters. It's illegal to do here in Florida, and uh, now this criminal investigation unit, I think, is going to clean up the mess in uh, central Florida. Well, Democrats have spent $40 million this year in an effort to gain control of who counts the votes. Such an interesting story. The New York Times reported Democrats are outspending Republicans, get this, 57 to 1, on television ads for their Secretary of State candidates, and it still may not be enough, the Times admitted. In 2020, Democratic secretaries oversaw record dumping of mail-in votes. Uh, In 2024, they might not get the chance, even though the party is dumping millions of dollars into the secretary of state uh, races. Uh, Republicans have spent over $700,000 thus far in 2022 midterms on secretary of state races, and $500,000 of that was for Brad Raffensperger to fend off challenges in, in Georgia. The New York Times also griped that Voters who uh, were too focused on the economy, inflation, and other issues that are outside the purview of the office of uh, Secretary of State. And while a vast majority of Americans view democracy as under threat, uh, striking few see it as a top issue, the Times added, citing a recent New York Times-Siena college poll. Imagine that, super uh grocery prices are 13% higher than a year ago and voters are not making a Democrat talking point about democracy in peril their number one issue. Hmm. So New York Times also slammed Republican Jim Marchant, Marchant, who is running for Secretary of State in Nevada. He's a good guy because he is in the organization organizer of the America First Secretary of State Coalition. That coalition just happens to favor eliminating mail voting, using only paper ballots, returning to a single day of voting, and giving poll watchers unfettered access. This is the ultimate nightmare scenario for Democrats but the GOP uh, may be fortunate in the 2022 elections due to what leftist politico termed quintessential curse of down-ballot races. GOP nominees for Secretary of State in Arizona, Michigan, Minnesota, and Nevada are in close races in 2022. All of those GOP candidates question the legitimacy of the 2020 election and could be running the next presidential election in those key states. Meanwhile, election integrity developments continue to make headlines in the key swing states of Pennsylvania, where they had a couple hundred thousand ballots sent out with uh, illegal or I- incomplete uh, data and uh, addresses and so forth, in Georgia and, and in Arizona. So the fight continues to make our uh, elections stable and secure. And uh, uh, Jim Marchand, I just this is great, he's creating a coalition of attorney general candidates who agree that they will uh, uphold the integrity of elections, no matter who wins. Great great idea. So if you're not aware, President former Barack Obama struggled to control a Michigan crowd after Heckler interrupted his campaign speech in support of uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Sunday or Saturday. Obama traveled to Michigan as part of a last-minute effort to rally his base around vulnerable Democrat candidates across the country, But it's unclear from the video of uh, Obama's speech whether the heckler said, but it was enough to get the former president's attention. Come on, Obama complained as he paused his speech for more than two minutes to address the heckler. But this is what I mean. This is what I mean, he said. I mean we were having a conversation. Obama said the crowd attempted to drown out the heckler by chanting Obama repeatedly. Obama then lectured the man on civility as security guards escorted him out of the rally. Obama said, right now, I'm talking. You'll have a chance to talk sometime soon. We don't have to interrupt each other. We don't have to shout down each other. That's not a good way to do business. You wouldn't do that in your workplace. You wouldn't uh, just interrupt people in the middle of a conversation. It's just not how we do things, said Obama. However, the heckler disrupted Obama's speech so much that it took several pleas from Obama before the crowd focused their attention back on him. So listen, Obama said, in an attempt to regain control of the crowd. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 Obama repeated several times. Quiet down, Obama told the crowd. At one point he shouted, hold on a minute, (laughs) as the crowd regained their attention. While Obama attempted to sway Michigan voters into supporting Whitmer, Republican challenging Tudor uh, Dixon thinks the Democrats' effort is too little and it's too late. Now we're just bringing in Obama. They brought in Kamala Harris. They brought in Joe Biden. Most people are running from Joe Biden. Gretchen Whitmer is bringing him in. It's just marrying her more to his radical policies. I definitely agree with that. So uh, Dixon spoke about how Whitmer's school closures galvanized suburban women across Michigan to vote against the incumbent now she's losing her base across the state because she her base is suburban woman suburban women are saying whoa whoa we missed graduations we missed proms we missed sports our kids missed all those milestones and now you're telling us it didn't happen it's outrageous i don't think gretchen whitmer is going to be the governor in january This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 4541
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Big election in Brazil yesterday. <laughs> and uh, just yep. a, appreciate your commentary. And, uh, Sorry about that. No no worries about your commentary and thoughts on the election.
2: Well, this is really an election of extremes. We talked about it last week a little bit. I mean, in American terms, it would be, I mean, it, it, think of Bernie Sanders versus Ted Cruz and add a little bit to both sides of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've gone back and forth because Lula was, was uh, president of Brazil uh, until he was ousted and now bolsonaro has had one term um, it's really both of them are extremes on on each side of the of the spectrum um, and it's a slight <coughs> excuse me um, bolsonaro was um, very much a COVID denier it was very much he he's in favor of of not not keeping any of the amazon lands at all for as has so, you know left developed developed without a question all of Brazil's resources um and of course um he's not particularly into redistribution of wealth in any which way um and um and his opponent uh, was just the opposite in almost uh, in every single way and the election the country is clearly you know very evenly divided i mean slightly 51 to 49 um percent um you know this was um It was a close election, it looks like, um, but a fair election by all accounts. Even though there were attempts to 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 make it otherwise. Yeah. Um, So we'll see a a radical change in Brazil. There's nothing, no no question about it. Yeah. uh, I wish I wish Brazil had someone in in the middle. Yeah. Uh, That would that's probably what it needs. Not not to go from one extreme to the other.
1: So apparently, uh, this uh, new president Lula, who has been. Uh, he engaged in some sort of a government kickback scheme. He was uh, indicted for that, and then finally he was released. Those charges have been dropped, since tossed and dropped. Can you comment on that?
2: Not really. I mean, there's a lot of discussions about that and whether the charges were real or was all trumped up. Uh, I'm afraid I'm not an expert enough on Brazil to really give an opinion about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly, there's an ideological fight in Brazil that's very strong and very clear, and the country is evenly divided. You know, we, we, it seems to be the nature of the world these days. And when we look at the United States, we can look at a lot of countries that are just evenly divided. And of course, it creates a certain level of political instability, because when you're evenly divided, you go from one extreme to the other with a little bit you know a, 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 a bit of a push and you're on, one, on the other extreme.
1: I will say I, I really admire the Brazilians for having an election and being able to announce the results in one day. I think that that would.
2: Well, but so so far, well, let's hold off a little bit there. I mean, it's a national election, so it's easier. In other words, they're not. They don't have all of the issues that we have in terms of states and electoral college and all those sort of things. Uh, but so far, Bolsonaro has not admitted defeat, even though the, the Brazilian election committee has announced that you know that he is a loser he has not accepted that yet so let's see whether we have a uh, another draw in our process another attempt to deny uh, deny we don't know
1: do they have know. do they have some sort of a a, a ruling around uh, recount if it's within a, a margin of a small I version? don't
2: believe so remember this is a runoff election already mm-hmm. so this is the second time basically that um, that lulu has won he won he beat Bolsonaro in, in the pre- in the previous election but there was a third party uh, running as well, so no one got fifty percent of the vote, and and the difference between them is a couple of million votes. It's not like you know. Let's put it this way: the difference in the last two American elections was somewhere in the area 80, of thousand eighty to ninety thousand votes, because of the way the states are divided, not in terms of the popular vote, which in both cases the Democrats won in the United States, but the but the actual winning of the vote by you know because of the way the electoral college is set, eighty to ninety thousand votes. The other way would have changed the results of yeah. both of the last two elections.
1: Right. You were
2: talking about two million votes, Yeah. and they don't have an electoral college, so that's something else to be talked about, right? In other words, it, yeah. you were talking about how it was better that they were able to, you know, they're able to come to a result right away. Well, it's result because it's it's straight out who has the most votes.
1: Yeah. So the, uh, uh, the United
2: States, we'd come, we in the United States, we'd have answers to the elections also probably on election night if we did it that way.
1: So uh, another comment is that uh, it's, <laughs> let's get rid of the bums. Let's uh, let's ch- make a change because everybody's suffering from inflation and all and, and uh, uh, rising oil prices and so forth. So it seems like a, in a lot of elections, people want to just try something new.
2: Right, no, there's no question about that. We see that all over the world. We see that. Um, look, I mean, I was have it later in the show, but might as well bring it up now. So we, the EU just announced. Uh, what its inflation rate is? An inflation rate in October in the EU was 10.7 percent. Wow. it's been in like 20 years. Um, so inflation is a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, everyone blames the government, whoever that government is, mm-hmm. for the inflation, and uh, no one wants to get involved in all the complicated reasons why inflation is, you know, between the war in Ukraine and leftover from COVID and all these other sort of things. Um, it's very little monetary policy at this point because the whole world. Didn't have the same monetary policy, and yet there's inflation basically everywhere's right now. Um, so, um, yep, throw out the bums. That's the way of view is. Vote, vote against the government you don't like because because of inflation.
1: So um, why why don't politicians figure this out? That you know, there's going be, gonna to be an accounting during the election. They get people get the chance to say uh, what they really feel.
2: Because the reality is, they have very little to do with it. That's that's the interesting thing. In other words. Presidents come and go based on the economy often, right? In other words, a uh, good indicator, people say, of whether a president is going to be reelected is what the state of the economy, and, and I think nine months before the election. So at some point, I forgot what the magic point is. But the reality is presidents have limited, presidents and governments have limited, in fact, often on, on the state of the economy these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, things like the Federal Reserve, which is an independent body, have a big big impact and then, of course, worldwide factors. I mean, right now, the worldwide factor of the Ukraine war and the price of oil and all these things, and the continued um, COVID shock, it still hasn't gone away, especially because of China. So all of these things, and so politicians can get it all you want, and they can they can try to explain it or attack based on it, et cetera, and attacking, attacking your opponent, who's the incumbent, whoever he is, or he or she is, obviously works well when the economy is doing poorly or this high inflation, um, and the opponent has very little he can do, as, as I say about that.
1: Yeah. Mark, so we uh, the... need to take just a little break. Can you stick around? Absolutely. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a beautiful performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we've got a big visiting with Jim McTagg. Right now, we continue the conversation with uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Iran.
2: Well, what's going on is the demonstrations are continuing. That's the most amazing thing. Uh, they, they come a bit in waves, but they've spread to other aspects of the economy. They've spread across the board. Uh, there was a warning yesterday, I think it was by the head of the um uh, National Guard warning that the demonstrators have demonstrated for the last time they're going to come and stop it. I don't know I, I it's not clear whether they're willing um really to fire on their mothers and sisters and everything else that's relating to this because this is still a very much a woman led uh, revolt uh I was always skeptical, and we've had this discussion many times over the last 15 years, of whether revolts revolt can succeed in a situation where uh, where, where, a country or a government is willing to fire on its own people. We don't really know. It hasn't been tested at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think there's at least a 30 or 40 percent chance of a real revolution taking place in, in Iran. Uh, there are reports, and I can't. Uh, talk about how accurate they are of some of the leaders sending their families and money out of the country.
1: Yeah, it doesn't surprise no, I don't me. Know.
2: Yeah, so we'll have to see. I mean, it will be a tremendous change in the Middle East if that happens. It will um, change almost everything, especially if a secular government comes to control, it comes to power in Iran. Um, it would be be a complete, complete and wonderful day. But let's not hold our breath quite
1: yet. Yeah, do you think people have a memory of living under the Shah having a secular government that was, uh, you know, free, more free than it is now? And it, uh, do you think that's still part of the culture?
2: Look, obviously there are people who are old enough to remember, but this is already a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, um, there are probably 70% of the country have not known anything else in their lifetimes, maybe even more, and so they don't remember anything else. Uh, people have to be at least in their uh mid to upper 60s to remember remember a period before the Ayatollahs Yeah. And what it was like to live in those in those years. So on the other hand they see it, you know, they're not they're not cut off from the world in the same way that the North Koreans are. Right. And uh they know what it is, what the rest of the world is like. A lot of them still tra- have been traveling over the years and so they know what it could be. Mm-hmm. So um I think that that, that pressure has been building. Um, I think they, you know, the Ayatollahs probably made a mistake by not uh, releasing some of that pressure, and we'll have to see.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the like optics. I said, I'm
2: cautiously optimistic.
1: I am as well, Mark. I mean, the uh, the optics of shooting women in the street—it's not—it's just not going to work with the world community. I just don't think so. Uh, a plus, plus the Iranian people. So, but
2: uh, right, that's the question. The, the question really comes down to it. it's not the world community. So what? The world community watched. Assad killed tens of thousands of his own people and the world community did, did nothing. nothing. Yep. But, will, uh, but will the Iranian National Guard soldiers be willing to open fire on their mothers and sisters? And that's where we'll, we'll find out.
1: So let's uh, now move to Ukraine. The war goes on. Uh, some interesting developments. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, you know, like you said, the war goes on. The Ukrainians managed to hit the Russian naval port in, uh, in occupied Crimea day before yesterday, and the Russians have, have responded by cutting off their grain shipments. Um, today, um, they did attack infrastructure in Iran and K- Kiev with missiles. Um, they are slowly, slowly losing on the battlefield, and yet they're creating an awful lot of damage to Ukraine as well. Um, the Ukrainians clearly have the upper edge at this point, um, in weaponry and in training and everything else, um, but it's a long, bloody battle.
1: You know, and, um, and, and we've, we, we've, I think, disagreed on this in the past. But I'd still raise the question about why wouldn't it make sense to sit down and resolve the conflict so that people are no longer killed and so we can. Uh...
2: Because you, 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 because what does that mean? Putin has made no indications if he's willing to resolve the resolve the conflict on anything but his own terms, which is no Ukraine, basically. Mm. So it's nice to say, let's resolve the conflict, but Putin is the one responsible for the conflict. So And the Ukrainian people are the ones who were invaded. So for someone on the outside, whether it's you or me or or Elon, or, or Musk, for that matter, to say, you should all sit down and resolve this conflict.
1: But you know that 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 uh, that that, that, that uh, narrative I think assumes that the, the Russian people are going along with us. I have to think there's a political but the, price. But the Russian
2: people are unhappy, but it's you know if we go back to it, it's still a dictatorship.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: It's a dictatorship of one person, uh, Putin. I mean, I don't there's no question in that in the latter part of World War II, the German people were not happy anymore either. But then despite, you know, there were assassination attempts against Hitler, they failed actually. Um, and so the Germans fought to the bitter end because Hitler wanted to fight to the bitter end. Yeah. So we don't know with, with Putin, but, but, you know, it's unfair and wrong to say, well, why don't they just negotiate? Well, they could have just negotiated. He, he didn't have to invade.
1: But the other side to this is that, uh, Zelensky called for, uh, regime change. I mean, he's, his demands are, I think, uh, unforgiving in terms of uh in other words his negotiation negotiating position is all or nothing at this point
2: well that's his position doesn't mean what would actually happen when you negotiate yeah but remember something i mean the russians have been involved in large-scale war crimes every single day yes and the question is is the international law worth anything at all if the russians get away with all of this Right,
1: although um, those issues know, are usually resolved in court, not necessarily on the battlefield.
2: Well, but you know, they're only resolved in court by, based on who wins the war. Hmm. Then, you know, that's. You know, Nuremberg took place because the Allies beat Germany. Good point. Um, what happened in, um, in former Yugoslavia and Serbia and the Serbs that were put on trial for war crimes only took place because they lost.
1: Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about this again next week, uh, Mark. In the meantime, let's move on to the U- European Union.
2: Right. The so European Union, like I mentioned before, the the fact of the matter is inflation is very high at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like it's high everywhere. Um, there's pressure. I mean, th- 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 there's pressure. We didn't. I didn't put in the list, but of course, we still have the UK with a new prime minister now, um, which. Um, He's going back on all the policies that the temporary prime minister announced in terms of tax cuts and everything else. Um, it's a difficult time.
1: How important climate. is it that, uh, that Germany has decided to take down some of its uh, windmills its, uh, uh, in order to expand the, uh, the mining of coal? I found that to be very interesting. I wonder if it's a canary in the coal mine
2: no the 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 coal, the call is really a temporary mat- matter right now because it'll take um it'll, it takes too long believe it or not this is an interesting fact that um i actually um this weekend a person who once was head of the green party in Germany and deputy foreign minister is a close friend of mine and she and i, I saw her this weekend she was visiting Israel and we had dinner together and she was talking about how slow it is to get infrastructure products projects done in Germany which like it was like completely against everything that all of us had thought about, you know, how efficient the Germans were getting these things done. And it's just taking the Germans forever mm-hmm. to get anything done. Um, and so the coal is a, is a, is a um, how should we call it, is, is a bridge in the meantime because they can't, obviously the gas situation, they can't rely on the um, on the Russian gas anymore. And it's particularly problematic, things that I didn't even realize. So she happens to live in what's, what was once East Berlin. And so the whole... They get their homes are heated by natural gas, and of course they get to the stoves. It's a pipe system. but the pipe system is all designed to go from one direction, which is from from Russia. yeah and so there's a lot, lot of work involved in trying to to redo all of these things.
1: yeah, but to your point, um, I, have a, no. I have a friend uh, that uh, was a developer in uh, Europe, and he prefers to develop property. In uh, Poland, as opposed to Germany, because it uh, it's so gummed up with regulations in Germany that they, it's a much easier process to build in uh, Poland I think that's oh
2: absolutely look I mean I'll never forget driving across Europe this is many as it was twenty five years ago, <clears throat> and in Germany, the roads were perfect mm-hmm. but at least every three miles we were stopped because of construction because they were perfecting the roads yeah we got to Italy, the roads had you know potholes and everything else, but the roads were open and we were able to go at 75 miles an hour all the way because there weren't all this work being done, so it's, it's a problematic situation, obviously.
1: Absolutely. So, so let's talk about China, what's going on there.
2: So China, this is really interesting. We talked about it last week a little bit on the on the issues that, that uh, Xi did with his Congress. Meanwhile, uh, more and more of their real estate uh, conglomerates seem to be in Greater and greater trouble. Yeah, uh, they've stopped. Uh, they stopped publicizing a whole series of economic uh, statistics, so we know less and less of what's going on in China because of because of that. We're seeing more American firms beginning to move, trying to move out, and um, the Biden administration's uh, rules relating to chips are going to really hit the Chinese very, very hard. And their inability, the their inability to buy the most advanced chips and more importantly, to develop the most advanced chips, is probably the single biggest blow to the Chinese uh, tech economy that, that's ever happened. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, they're being squeezed. There's no question they're being squeezed. Um, and, again, you know, I'm one of those people who always say, anyone who writes, out, writes off the American economy early is making a mistake.
1: So are they, I saw, and I didn't read it carefully. I apologize for that. But that apparently there's some sort of a scheme for Russia and and China to team up to form a alternative standard for currency, including gold or something like that. Have you heard anything about that?
2: No, I mean they've been talking about this. They've been trying to do this for a while, but the problem that they're having right now. Of course, both currencies are under attack in various ways, and the owner is particularly under under attack. And once upon a time, you know, it's one of those things, if you remember maybe five years ago or ten years ago, we were concerned that the Chinese owned so much of our debt that they controlled us. Mm-hmm. Well, over the last couple of years, because of the, their economic issues, they slowly had to sell all of that. And uh, they now own less than 3% or 4% of our debt.
1: I did not know that. That is so interesting. Really?
2: So, yeah, so that's a big change, obviously. And um, so it's one, one last thing, you know, I think, I think we have to think three times now, and I say that because there's no question in, in that commercially China is the biggest um, challenge the United States has, but we may have overestimated how dangerous they are to the United States. Hmm. And um, that requires a lot of, you know, serious thinking, and I think that's one of the things that we're very bad at is deep strategic thinking, but that's a different story altogether.
1: Yeah. Well, just like Churchill said, you know, you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. Look, the American economy always manages to, to, to come back, Yeah, either because of the government or because of the private sector, and sometimes a little bit of both, but it always manages to come back, and I'm quite sure in terms of worldwide comp- competitiveness, it's clearly going to do it again and
1: is doing it again. So. All right. We'll leave it at that, Mark. I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Mark Schumann, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so have much. A great week. You had as well. Thank you, Mark. All right. Coming up, we're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Come back to the Bob Hartman Show. And now here's your
1: host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several novels, great novels, by the way. Right now, we're going to talk a little bit about Elon Musk. The new Twitter CEO is reportedly set to cut up to 50% of the workforce at Twitter after taking over the company late this week, and uh, layoffs are expected to begin as soon as this weekend. The New York Times reported that Musk ordered the cuts across the company with some teams to be trimmed more than others. That, according to some managers, were being asked to withdraw up a list of employees to cut. Musk acquired the company Thursday after his $44 billion purchase was finalized following a drama-filled six-month process that saw him try to uh, back out at the last moment. Layoffs are reportedly set to happen before employees were scheduled to get stock grants as part of the compensation, the report added. Well, that could be... uh, <laughs> right now, the press is just so eager to make uh, Musk look uh, bad, put him in a bad light. But I think some of the things he's doing is brilliant. Reports circulated this week that Musk was planning to cut up 75% of the workforce, although he reportedly pushed back on that notion that the number would be too high. He began his new reign as the company by firing his uh, CEO, his CFO, and the legal po- uh, trust and the legal counsel. Uh, The report said that Musk also fired the company's general legal counsel, Sean Edgett, who was escorted out of the building. Musk released a statement earlier Thursday to advertisers explaining why he wanted to buy Twitter and ensuring them that they do not have to worry about Twitter becoming a free-for-all hellscape. I wanted to reach out personally to share my motivation in acquiring Twitter, uh, Musk wrote. This has been much speculation about what I bought Twitter and what I think about advertising. Most of it has been wrong. The reason I acquired Twitter is to because, because it's important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence, Musk continued. There is currently great danger that social media will splinter into far right wing and far left wing echo chambers that generate more hate and divide in our society, he wrote. In the relentless pursuit of clicks, much of the traditional media has been fueled and catered to those polarized extremes, as they believe that is what brings in money. But in doing so, the opportunity for dialogue is lost. Must continued? I mean, it's been true that uh, Twitter and others, these uh, social media, they say they they tend to ex- to ex- uh, accentuate the extreme because that uh, brings clicks. And Musk is not for that. So, this is why I bought Twitter. I didn't do that because it would be easy. I didn't do it to make more money. I did it to try and help humanity, whom I love, he said. And I'll do so with humility, recognize the failure in pursuing this goal, despite our efforts, is a very real possibility. That said, Twitter obviously cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said at no consequences. In addition to adhering to the laws of the land, our platform will be warm and welcoming to all where you can choose your desired experience according to your preferences, just as you choose, for example, to see movies or play video games ranging from all ages to mature. So that's the comment on Elon Musk. But less than 24 hours after he took over his chief twit, as he calls himself, a fact check has placed been placed on Joe Biden's uh, comments. He said he's lying. Biden tweeted, "Let me give you the facts. In 2020, 55 corporations made 40 billion dollars, and they paid zero in federal taxes. My Inflation Reduction Act put an end to that." That's what's Biden's quote. Not so fast, homie," said uh, said uh, uh, Musk, chief twit. Twitter took the opportunity to add context to that, saying. Out of the 55 corporations the tweet referenced, only 14 had earnings greater than a billion dollars and would be eligible under Biden's tax law. Lots of laughs, he said. Twitter also uh, linked Glenn Kessler's fact check on the claim into Washington Post, in which he concluded, this 55 corporations number is probably in the ballpark, but readers should be aware that it's not based on actual tax returns. Well done, uh, Elon Musk. Also, uh, Twitter owner Elon Musk revealed that people who account, whose accounts have been suspended for minor and dubious reasons would, be, be held, uh, would have their accounts reinstated. Anyone suspended for minor and dubious reasons will be freed from Twitter jail, Musk wrote. Twitter would be forming a content moderation council consisting of people with widely diverse viewpoints. As, as many wonder what uh, counts associated with big names like Donald Trump would be illustrated, Musk wrote, no major content decisions or account reinstatements will happen before the council convenes. After taking control of Twitter on Thursday night, Musk wrote, the bird is free. <laughs> Elon Musk. It does raise the question, though, if these uh, people of uh, many uh, points of view get together, will, won't they be just kind of a minor uh, food fight uh, among them about uh, what should be on the Twitter and what should be excluded. Yeah, it's a possibility here. Hopefully he'll lay the groundwork and make, this, uh, make these decisions easy uh, for, and uh, be able to proceed in making this really a, a good exchange for, uh, as he called it, a town square. We didn't talk about Nancy Pelosi's situation, Paul Pelosi. That's all so interesting. We'll just leave that for another another time. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTague, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Blue Provence is one of only 97 restaurants worldwide to receive Wine Spectator's prestigious Grand Award, and they've received it for the eighth consecutive year. Blue Provence Restaurant is temporarily closed for renovations due to damage from Hurricane Ian, and they look forward to serving you again in the near future. In the meantime, you can enjoy their Grand Award-winning wine list with unbeatable prices on more than 2,500 wines by visiting Blue Provence Fine Wines at 1234 8th Street South, Monday through Saturday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Check out the vast wine selection by visiting Blue Provence on Facebook or visit the easy-to-browse website, blueprovencefinewines.com. Visit blueprovencefinewines.com, or if you need help, you can call Jacques directly at 239-821-6772. Do you have questions about your retirement?
0: Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty. Personal Responsibility, Limited Government, and the Rule of Law. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired and wrote some terrific murder mysteries. Uh, they are sequels. Well, the first was uh, Follow the Leaders. The second, Shake the Money Tree. And the third, Follow the, uh, No Problem, I should say. No Problem. Just terrific reads, uh, all located in Washington, D.C. Uh, Jim McTagg, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Oh, it's great. Great to be with you, uh, Bob. You know, I relocated to uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and uh, so much fun with the, what we call the Plain People, which you know, they're Anabaptists, which uh, include the Amish, the Brethren, the the you know, uh, you name it. Yeah. And uh, uh, we, uh, my wife Rachel and I, went to a uh, a lake in Pennsylvania. It's called uh, Middle Creek. It's in, in Lebanon County where all the geese hang out. And uh, the place Sunday was crawling with the plain people. Uh, it was so much fun. They speak they speak uh, German. They have families with uh, five to ten kids. So yeah. um, not only did we see beautiful wildlife, but we saw the most beautiful families, and it just... It makes you confident in the future of America when you see beautiful children coming along and, and, and being raised uh, uh, in such a, a terrific manner.
1: Yeah, no, that's so interesting. Were they riding around in carriages?
3: Well, there were, you know, it's funny because there are different uh, versions of the plain people. Some of them, are, there were horses and buggies. Uh, some of them can ride bicycles without chains. Some ride bicycles with chains on, on Sunday. And some are allowed to drive, but they can't have flashy vehicles. So, you know, not a lot of chrome.
1: That's so interesting. Uh, they,
3: dre- they dress in, you know, in the long calico dresses and the hats. And uh, so it was very picturesque. I felt like I was in a time machine.
1: And I must say, in one of the most beautiful areas in the country, I think that, that area up there, it's near Lancaster, isn't it?
3: It is. It's about uh, 15 miles north of Lancaster, and, you know, it's peak leaf season now. So the hills were just uh, furious with beautiful colors, and uh, uh, the temperature has been mild. So it was uh, really nice. It's an alternative to going all the way up to New England to look at leaves.
1: So I've been interested in getting your thoughts now on uh, on the economy and what's happened with regard to inflation and uh, moving towards the midterms. What are your thoughts?
3: you know, I feel like uh, the voice crying in the wilderness, am I the only one obsessed with guns and butter? I think we're at war. I mean, we don't have uh, feet on the ground in Ukraine, uh, but we really are like the Lend-Lease Program. So we're spending billions of dollars on defense. And if we're serious about bringing down inflation, uh, you have to support the Fed's uh, blunt force uh, use of interest rates to reduce the money supply, which will be very painful. It took, Paul, two recessions, one lasting 16 months to get inflation under control. Uh, but Congress has a role in implementing a sound fiscal policy. Mm-hmm. And when you're at war, you need less butter and more guns out Al- uh If you try to pay for more guns with higher taxes, you end up bludgeoning the productive part of the economy and exacerbating any recessions it's a really short sighted policy so you you have to redeploy uh spending on 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 programs that are really unnecessary uh or you know might might be a little bit luxurious in light of uh the demands on our defense industry
1: of course uh, that, that all I'm, happens that all happens in the context of a 31 trillion dollar debt uh, an open border i mean there's so many things right now when you're in our circumstances you need to pick and choose what you can afford to do and of course we can't afford to do anything because we're so far in debt but you have to make careful decisions it just makes me wonder about this whole uh ukrainian war what are we doing over there anyhow
3: uh well i think uh yeah i think putin is if he goes the situation is improved i mean you know the the russians would love to call back or putin would love to call back the former soviet union yeah uh Ukraine is only the first uh you know he's i mean i think poland is at, at risk uh too the, there's there's a screw loose with putin and he he sees uh the glory of empire so i think we're opposing um a tyranny in its initial phase and, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's a wise policy so mm-hmm. i disagree that we shouldn't be involved in the ukraine the other thing is um his ally china has its sights that, on more than the, the taiwan i mean uh it wants to extend its authority, not influence, authority over the entire Asian Pacific uh, region. So we have these two tyrannies at work. And I I think it's comparable to uh, what we faced during World War II. Uh, The problem is we have a government here that can't rally this. It hasn't even attempted to rally the support of the American public because it demands sacrifice from all of us. It's going to demand sacrifice for a time in our uh, lifestyles, you know. Um, and we don't have politicians that, that can, that are disinterested in their own political parties, that, so, and, so, you know, looking at what's good for the country. Jim, like Ronald Reagan.
1: Yeah, just riddle me this, Jim. Uh, what I would describe uh, what we've had for the last two years as being sacrifice. In other words... <laughs> This economy has not been run for the benefit of the American people. They've got special interests uh, all kind of uh, uh, getting the benefit of what's going on around here at, at at great expense to the American people. How much more sacrifice can we make?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know that's a corrupt Congress. That's pork spending. You know, uh, all the spending you see coming out of Washington is predominantly pork spending. Mm-hmm. It's old-fashioned and. and so we need a Congress and we're not going to get it. I'm I'm talking utopian talk here. Uh we need a Congress of patriots that, that uh realizes that we have a serious problem facing the country that could could bring the country down. Yeah. We could have fiscal collapse. And if if they don't do their work, uh we're in big trouble. I don't think the Congress will. I'm I'm down on both parties. Uh-huh. I think, but the parties, the politicians, are more interested in their personal survival. I saw the fetterman oz debate uh, here in Pennsylvania for the Senate seat. Doctor Oz and John Fetterman, the Democrat. Fetterman was awful. I mean, uh, he clearly is not uh, physically capable of being a senator. Right. Uh, but but regardless, both candidates, when they were asked about. Fiscal policy and entitlements uh, refuse to answer the questions. They mm-hmm. play dodgeball, and the reason is, if you're honest with the American public and say, "Hey, listen, we have to have changes, uh, maybe even in Social Security adjustments to make these things uh, financially uh, sustainable," um, you're going to get voted. You're going to get voted out of office. Yeah. So they're not. They're not going to be honest with people on the campaign trail, and once they are in office. Uh, they are so fixated on a long time career in Washington, which can enrich you, uh, that they're not going to take on these tough topics. Because, well,
1: I, you know, I, I I like to think that these mega candidates, mega candidates that uh, that have been endorsed by Trump, I, my hope is they're going to go up there with the whole notion of making America great again, which would lead to making better decisions. Of course, you may be right, and uh, I may be just uh, seeing through rose colored glasses, but that's kind of the way I see it.
3: Yeah, see I see Trump as I call him president line my pockets. You know, I think I think he's one of the most self-interested uh people on who ha- have been up on Capitol Hill. I'm very cynical about uh, both parties. I feel like a sh- uh, you know, um I ha- I have no home politically uh and uh you know, I long for uh, uh, an appearance of a Ronald Reagan who when Volcker was going to raise interest rates and trigger recessions said um, if not when now when yeah. if not us
1: who who exactly who? well jim we're going to leave it there i mean we have so much to talk about but i wish uh, we were just out of time but i just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show and again uh take a look at no problem jim's latest novel so interesting so much fun to read no problem by jim mctay jim thank you so much for joining us here on the show Thank you. I'm sorry if I was too cynical. No, <laughs> oh, Jim. Not too cynical at all. We appreciate po- different points of view and, and, and appreciate being able to discuss them. That's a wrap here for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got great guests for tomorrow, including our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Uh, Boo Mortensen will be with us. Seton Motley uh, will join us as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.